Well, hey everybody, thanks again for joining in with us this week as we continue on our live stream talking about the Mark chapter 12. We're going to be joining Jesus and his disciples in the last week of his life. I've been thinking about how this pandemic that we're in right now has actually exposed another pandemic that we were already in, but we probably didn't even realize we were in it. Some authors have called it hurry sickness. It's this idea that our lives are so complicated, our schedules are so full, and we have so, such little margin in our lives that our stress and our anxiety just keeps getting higher and higher. I think I'd mentioned before, my March and April were so packed, my schedule was so busy, I was wondering how I was even going to fulfill all the commitments I had on my schedule. And so what happened is this pandemic has simplified our lives. It's forced us to slow down and it's forced us to simplify everything in our lives. I don't know about you, but right now it feels like the biggest decision I make every morning is which sweatpants I'm going to wear. In fact, I could be wearing sweatpants right now underneath this table. You would have no idea. Just kidding. I'm, I'm not actually. But simple is not a bad thing. In fact, we crave simple because our world is so complicated and our lives are so busy that we hunger for things to be simple. Psychologists have tapped into this idea that if you want to develop a good habit, the best thing you can do is just make it simple to do that behavior. Remove the steps and make it as simple as you can to do that behavior and you have a much better chance of developing a good habit. The opposite is also true. If you want to break a bad habit, the best thing you could do is make it more complicated to do that behavior. Take, you know, add a few steps in and all of a sudden it becomes a lot harder to do that behavior. That's how we develop good habits. That's how we break bad habits. If you're one of the people that's been sitting around during this pandemic wondering how you're gaining the COVID-19 pounds that people are talking about, it's probably because it's simple to binge eat between meals right now, right? I mean, you're at home, the food is right there, you've got nothing else to do, so might as well eat your feelings, right? So one of the best things you could do if you, if you want to break that bad habit of eating bad food in between meals is make it more complicated to do that. So the next time you're at the store, instead of buying donuts and ice cream, buy broccoli and kale. I, I guarantee that'll help you a lot. And so uh, the point of all of this is just to say we do what is simple and we avoid what is complicated. That's true for you, that's true for me, and that's true for human nature in general. We do what is simple, and we tend to avoid whatever is complicated. So that applies as we look at Mark 12 today. Uh, I want to explain a little bit about the world that Jesus stepped into. The, the religious world and the religious climate that Jesus stepped into was extremely complicated. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had gone through the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and they had identified 613 laws that the Jewish people had to follow. That's a lot of laws. But then in order to make it even more complicated, they divided those laws into affirmative commands, which mean do this, and then negative commands, which mean don't do these. Now there were 248 affirmative commands, one for every part of the human body as they understood it in that time. And there were 365 negative commands, one for every day of the year. 
But then they took it a step further. They divided those affirmative and uh, negative commands into binding and then non-binding commands. Binding were the ones that you had to do. They were the, the highest priority, the most important. And the non-binding commands were ones that you should try to do, but sometimes they conflicted with some of the other ones, and so they canceled themselves out if you were following a binding command. And so what the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, would do is they would sit around in the temple or in the synagogue, and they would debate each other. They would have these lengthy debates about whether the divisions were correct, which laws were really binding, which ones were non-binding, and the rabbis, everybody would debate these laws. Following God was complicated in Jesus' day. And so Jesus is in the last week of his life, he's in the temple, and he's having kind of his final confrontations with the religious leaders of his day, and in the temple they're having this debate about which laws are the most important. They're having one of these conversations. What is the most binding and the least binding commandments? So we're going to jump in there today. So join me. This is Mark 12, starting in verse 28. Uh, join me if you're at home with your Bible or uh, with your Bible app, whatever it is easiest. It says this, One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? So he's asking, which is the most binding? Which is the most important? That's the debate they're having. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So what Jesus does here is brilliant. The, the way he steps into this debate, the way he answers it, is he begins with something called the Shema. Now the Shema is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Torah, in the Old Testament. And the Shema was a prayer that the, the Jewish people would pray twice a day at this time in history. In fact, it was the prayer that they would start their day with. And the way it begins, it begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So Jesus is affirming this idea that God is one. Now this was a powerful idea in Jesus' day, because at this time in history, uh, the Greek world worshipped this pantheon of gods and goddesses. I mean, there were all these different gods and goddesses, and they had different functions and different purposes. And to please this one, you had to do these things, but then to please this one over here, you had to do a different set of things. So, so pleasing these gods was extremely complicated. And so what Jesus does is he affirms this idea that, no, God is one. God is unified. He's the only God. And so God isn't broken or fragmented. God isn't one way at work, but then a different way at home. God isn't acting one way with this group of people, but then he acts a different way with this other group of people. Uh, God isn't just the Lord when things are good, but he's not Lord when things are bad. Jesus is affirming this idea that God is one. Now, this idea of God being one, and we believe God is three in one, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit in one, this idea impacted every other relationship in the Bible. So if you think about the way the Bible talks about marriage, marriage is two people becoming one. That's the way the Bible talks about marriage. So God is one. Marriage is two people, a husband and wife, becoming one. 
So if you think about it, marriage, in a sense, is supposed to reflect to the rest of the world a picture of what God is like. The same is true for the church. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for his disciples, and he prays for all of us, all his disciples all throughout the centuries, and he prays that his disciples would be one just as he and the Father are one. So in the same way, the church is supposed to reflect to the rest of the world a picture of what God is like. God is not broken and fragmented. God is not divided. He is one. So out of this dramatic statement, Jesus simplifies who God is. God is one. What he does is he takes a next step. Now, before we do that, I just want to let you know here at Frontline, the way we've understood and unpacked this idea of God being one is in our vision. We have these five zeros that make up the vision of Frontline and also the vision of the Zero Collective. One of those is, the, the, is to say zero gods before God. There are zero gods before God. Now, the reason that's important is because we understand spiritual growth. What does it mean to become a disciple? What does it mean to follow God? It's not so much that you have to add 50 things to do to try to please God and keep Him happy all the time. Uh, it's actually about subtraction. It's about eliminating all other idols and all other things that vie for your highest attention and putting God first in your life. And this is what Jesus is inviting us to do. He says God is one and we're supposed to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. So God is first. He, he comes in first place in our lives. And then Jesus takes this dramatic step and he says, if you want to understand what's most important in the law, he says you have to love God and love others. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Jesus says is what is required of us if we're going to follow after God. Now, this is brilliant. What Jesus is doing here in this moment is he's not, uh, you know, lowering the standard of the law. He's not abolishing the law. What he's doing is he's capturing the essence of the law. He boils 613 laws down to two. Love God and love others. This, and this is what he invites us into. Um, I love uh, Matthew's version of this. In, in Matthew's gospel version account of this same conversation and this same story, uh, Matthew 22, verse 40, Jesus says, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, if you just do these two commandments, love God and love others, you'll accomplish all the rest of the law. You'll be following the rest of the law if you manage to just do these two, love God and love others. This is beautifully simple, isn't it? I mean, Jesus it so beautifully simplifies. He said, God actually isn't that complicated. God is one. He comes in first place of our lives. And what it means to, to follow him is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others. It's beautiful. He narrows 613 laws down to two, and he makes it simple for us to follow God. Here's the problem. <laughs> Here's where the tension comes in. Love is actually very complicated. It's one thing to say, love God and love others. That's simple. That idea is simple. But actually loving someone is actually very complicated. If you think love is simple, you haven't actually tried to love anyone then. <laughs> the, the reason is because to love someone means to uh, get involved in the complexity of their life. 
You can't love someone without getting involved in the complexity of their life. Love is messy. Love is complicated. Uh, love oftentimes disappoints us or it allows us to get hurt. Sometimes when we extend ourselves in love toward another person and we get involved in, in the complications of their life, it actually ends up with us getting hurt. Love is difficult and, and it is complicated and messy. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, since this whole shutdown has been happening, my wife Carrie and I have been trading off uh, different days we'll go to the store to buy the enormous amount of food it takes to feed my four boys who are at home right now. Uh, and the truth is she actually goes to the store way more than me, to the grocery store and gets the groceries for the week. Now I, I love my wife. We've been married for 21 years. I love my wife. Um, so what happens is I go into the store and I'll have on my phone like my shopping list, right? So I'll go in, I'll have my mask on, I'll go to my, you know, I'll go grab one of those sanitized carts and I'll start going around Meyer and I'll fill up the cart, I'll get everything that's on the list and then I'm done, I'm going back to the checkout counter and just as I'm going to the checkout lane, my phone will ding and I'll look down and it'll be a text from my wife and it will say bananas and yogurt. And so I will get out of line, I will go all around the store, because I love my wife, I will go get bananas and yogurt and add them to the cart, then I'll come back to the line and just as I'm getting to the line, my phone will ding again and I'll look down and it'll say peanut butter and celery or whatever. And so I will get, because I love my wife, I will go around and I will get these things. I will dive into the complication of that because of my love for her. Love is complicated. To really love someone is complicated. Now there's, to be honest with you, there's a limit to my love, right? Like if I'm already out to the car and I'm at the car putting the bags in the vehicle and I get a text, you know, can you go get me some more celery? It, it, I'll just say, hey, next time you're at the store, you can pick it up yourself. There is a limit <laughs> to my love, apparently. But the beauty of God is that there is no limit to God's love. In fact, the gospel message, the way we understand the gospel message is that Jesus left heaven, he left his throne, he left the comfort of heaven, he's the son of God, and he came into the complication of our world. He became human, and he walked among us, and he, and he stepped into the complexity of our lives and our world, and he actually showed us how to do this, how to love God and love others completely. Jesus was the ultimate perfect example of love. And he did this by stepping into our world and, to become, and becoming human and living a perfect sinless life on our behalf. And so we have to allow Jesus to step into the complexity of our lives personally and we have to allow him to love us in the midst of our brokenness and in the midst of our sin. And it's only when we uh, entrust our lives to him, it's only when we uh, you know, accept his love for us and that we are changed and we are transformed. And only when we've accepted Jesus' love for us and we've been saved and transformed can we then turn around and really truly love other people in our lives. It's only Jesus' love that can transform us that way. Other writers in the New Testament, they tap into this idea. I love what John says. John was one of Jesus' disciples, and in 1 John 4, verse 19, he makes this astounding statement. He says, we love each other because he loved us first. In other words, we know how to love other people only because 
we've accepted Jesus' love for, our, for us first. We love because he first loved us. It's his ultimate act of love that even helps us understand what love is and how to love someone else. The writer Paul says in Romans 13:8, he says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Which is exactly what Jesus said in the temple when he was being questioned, right? If you, if you manage to love other people with the love of God, the way God loved you, you will actually fulfill the law. You'll fulfill what the, all the other 613 laws were about. And so this is what Jesus invites us into. This is what he asks us for our lives to be centered around. So are you unsure of what to do with a relationship in your life? Let God's love that he poured out on you in Jesus lead you? Are you unsure about how to handle a tough conversation that's coming up? You know you have a tough conversation, you know you have to have it, and you don't even know how to approach it. Let his love that he showed you in Christ lead you in that conversation. Are you unsure about what to say about sin? whether it's sin that we see in our world or sin in the life of another person, or if you're even sin in your own life, are you unsure what to say it? Let his love for you in Jesus lead you in that conversation. That's what Jesus invites us into. I really believe that this coronavirus pandemic that we're in right now has simplified our lives in a lot of ways. And as difficult as that has been, the social distancing has been really hard on relationships. It's been really hard. Uh, I've said this, I miss our church. I miss you guys. I miss my friends. I miss seeing people and being in you know, contact with people uh, in my day-to-day -day life. But I actually think that the way our lives have been simplified right now, we actually have some incredible opportunities to love God and to love other people right now like we've never had in our world before. Because, you know, God's love can't be quarantined. <laughs> God's love for us can't be quarantined, and our love as the church for, uh, for each other cannot be put on quarantine. And, and right now is a time where I think we need to, as the church, be stepping out in, in showing God's love and accepting God's love for us and in showing that to our world that we live in. I want to share with you a letter I got. Uh, actually, this was an email um, from a woman who attends our church here at Frontline. And I got this email on Easter, and she sent me, this is just basically her story of how Jesus intersected her life and how his love transformed her since the time she's been coming to our church. And so uh, I want to warn you, if you have uh, parents, if you have young kids with you watching at home, the content of this letter is uh, a little intense. I've edited it, so I don't uh, believe there's anything graphic or anything like that in it. Um, but I think it, it bears way. This story was such a powerful reminder to me of God's love and how his love changes people. So uh, this is what she wrote. She said this, I was born and raised Catholic, like die-hard Catholic. I grew up in Catholic school, played Catholic league sports, and made all of my sacraments in the church. At one point in time, I was actually even considering becoming a nun. My parents were best friends with our priest, who used to come over and have cannonball contests in the pool and wine nights at our house. When I was in college, I'm 30 now, I was raped by the guy I was dating. It was completely out of the blue and unexpected. As the good Catholic girl I was, 
I had been saving myself for marriage and had consistently told this guy no for many weeks. When it happened, I fought and fought, but it didn't matter. When it was over, he got up and left like nothing ever happened. I never told anyone about it. At the time, I lived with four female roommates who were diehard Christians, including my best friend. I felt like I couldn't tell them because they would judge me for being impure. I also knew I couldn't tell my family because they would have been so disappointed in me. I had no one, so I kept it under wraps from everyone for almost six months. However, I started attempting to deal with the pain on my own. I began drinking and smoking weed just to escape, and it was never enough of an escape from the shame and the guilt that I constantly carried. However, during a sober moment, I decided to pull myself together and drive myself to my church to ask for help. I knew that I didn't want to continue the path that I was on, and I knew I needed help. When I got to the church, I sat down with the priest, the same one who I thought I could trust, who was best friends with my parents. I told him what happened, and the first thing out of his mouth was, why were you in that situation in the first place? He told me ultimately that being raped was my fault. I left feeling more hurt than, than when I went in. It was a deep hurt, like a rejection from God himself. I was convinced in that moment that God was absolutely ashamed of me and that I deserved what had happened to me. In the months following that discussion, I remember telling myself and believing that I was dirt, lower than dirt. I stopped praying because I didn't feel that I was worthy of even communicating with God. I was the unclean, ugly leper. I began lashing out in ways that I never thought possible. I was completely lost. I stopped attending my college classes. My GPA dropped from a 3.8 to a 1.8. I lost touch with everyone I knew, including my family. I drank from sun up to sundown and began trading sex for drugs and booze. I can honestly say that I don't really remember much from that time because I intentionally kept myself drunk or stoned on purpose so I didn't feel anything. Everything I did to numb the pain from the rape and the church only got me into more trouble. However, in the midst of all the chaos, I somehow ended up at Frontline. I don't remember the message you gave that day, but I remember that you said that God never stops loving us, no matter how much trouble we are in. At the time, I was stoned, so that message didn't really stick, but it helped me open the door. For some reason, that was the first time that I could believe that statement. I didn't believe it about myself, but I believed that God could love other people. It was some time before I attended another service, and during that sermon, you said that it was okay to get mad at God and He would still love you. And boy, did I ever exercise that. I remember crying and screaming for hours that Sunday and allowing myself to begin expressing feelings I had bottled up for so long. I screamed to the point of passing out. I screamed, where were you when I was being raped? Why did you let this happen to me? I taunted him. I yelled, were you too busy blessing other people while I was being raped? What were you doing when that was happening to me? And I kid you not, as clear as day and as surely as possible, I heard him reply, I was weeping for you. Pastor Brian, I have never been a, be a believer in miracles, but I cannot express to you how clearly I heard his reply. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords told me, the dirty, ugly sinner, that he wept for me. He told me that every time I traded sex for weed, he was weeping for me. He told me that even if I was drunk at 10 a.m., he was weeping for me. 
God himself was sad for me and was compassionate. He didn't say he was mad at me or ashamed of me. It was the first time in my 25 years of life that I ever felt the softness of the Lord. I had only ever known his wrath and his desire for my confession. I never knew Jesus was so kind. I can't quote scripture or even say prayers out loud like other people can, but I know Jesus. I know my God better than I ever have. He truly rescued me from myself. I'm married now. I graduated with my master's degree and recently became pregnant. My life is completely blessed. However, I will never forget the mountain of darkness that Jesus and I climbed over together. She ends her letter like this. She said, please always remember that there is probably someone sitting in the back, completely lost, not knowing what she's doing there, but knowing she needs Jesus. Here's why I share that with you. There is someone in your neighborhood who feels exactly like that right now. There is someone in your small group who feels like that. There is someone, maybe even in your house, with, watching with you right now online who feels exactly like that. His love changes people. His love changed me. His love is still changing me. Jesus' love changes people. When we allow him personally to step into the complicated complexity of our lives, even in the midst of our brokenness and our shame, and we allow him to love us, his love changes us. And it's out of that love that we can then live and, and love other people. I don't know about you, but I am tired of being the kind of Christian who barely knows my neighbors and who could care less about the poor and the marginalized in our world, but I'm attending five church programs a week. I'm tired of being the kind of Christian who knows all the theology and has all the head knowledge figured out. But if you were to interview my family, especially during this time of the virus, they would tell you that I am not the most loving person that they know. I'm tired of being the kind of Christian who says that I love my brothers and sisters like Christ, but I'm not living in community enough with my brothers and sisters to even know them, to even know the complexity or the reality of their lives enough to really know them enough to love them. Now is the perfect time to change some things, to change some things about your life. I know I'm looking at my life right now and I'm asking God to, to help me just change some things, not in my strength, not in my power, because I know I can't, but in his love. And so a couple things I'd like to ask you to think about. Number one is if you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, if you've never let him into your life to love you in the midst of your brokenness and your sin, I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you to actually confess him as Lord and invite him to be Lord of your life and to just let him have your life and to, to allow him to whisper to you that he loves you and that you are a highly valued son or daughter of the king, not through anything you've done, not through your behavior or your performance, but through what he did for you on the cross. Let his love transform you. And then what I want to invite you to do is this week, maybe this week, find some way to actually love someone else with the love of God, with the same love that God's loved you with. I want to challenge you this week, somehow, even from a social distancing standpoint, find one way you can love someone tangibly with the love of Jesus. Um, 
I've noticed something during this uh, quarantine. Uh, as a staff, we've been reaching out to our entire database, everybody that we have uh, on record with information for, and we've just been reaching out as a staff to say, hey, we love you guys. How can we pray for you right now? How are you doing? And as I've done that with the people that I've talked with, I have noticed there is a huge difference between the people that I talked to that were already in a small group before this whole quarantine and shutdown happened. Those people are doing well for the most part. They're engaging, they're connecting with others. They're in each other's lives. They're loving one another, even in the complication of this time that we're in. And there's a big difference between those people and the people who are not in a small group who are a part of our church right now. Those people who are not in a small group are, frankly, they're not doing as well. And they're having a lot of struggles with loneliness and anxiety and, and trying to figure out uh, where they can go with all this. So I wanna challenge you, I wanna encourage you, small groups are the heartbeat of our church. And I, I think our small groups have never been more important than they are right now. Because when you're in a small group, you're actually in each other's lives. You're stepping into the complexity of each other's lives with the love of God and you're loving one another. And that's what God called us to be as the church. And so I want to invite you, if you've never done it, I, I would love for you to go online to our website, frontlinegr.com forward slash groups, and you can get, uh, you can see a listing of all our groups. We have groups for men, for women, for uh, married couples, for deaf and hard of hearing. We have, we have um, small groups for, that are all different kinds and all different ways. And they're all meeting online right now through Zoom meetings. But we have openings everywhere. We have tons of opportunity and tons of space for people to join small groups. Don't let yourself be isolated. Don't believe the lies of the enemy that you are the ugly, broken leper like this uh, woman believed for so many years of her life. That's not Jesus. That's not what he's saying about you. That is not God's love for you. God loves you and he, he is pursuing you even in the midst of this time. Accept his love and allow his love to transform you so that you can love others. I'd love uh, to just close with a prayer here before we sing. Would you just bow with me? Lord Jesus, I just thank you that your love changes people. I just believe there are people watching even right now on this live stream, God, who just need to be reminded of that, that your love for them is complete. It doesn't run out. It doesn't uh, go on empty that your love is boundless and it, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, your love has paid the price for whatever brokenness, for whatever sin is, is on our lives. And so Jesus, right now we accept you. We accept your love for us. We ask you to just be Lord of our lives, to transform us. And God, I just pray that you would help us this week to be a tangible conduit of your love to the world that we live in. Would you allow us to be just a reflection of your love? Would you love others through us, God? Would you love others in our family who are cooped up in the house with us? Uh, God, would you love others through us in our neighborhoods? Would you love others through us in our small groups? Would you love others through us in our community, in our, in our world, Jesus? Uh, we thank you that you called us to be the, the church together. We thank you that you are one and that you are uh, an ultimate expression of love. And so, God, would you help us to step into your love in the person of Jesus? It's in your name we pray. Amen.